Still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Welcome to another episode of Fan Kirby's Fight Club, and that's episode 19. Your one-stop listen for all things Chelsea FCW, and of course, the absolute legend that is super fan Kirby. Now, I'm merely one of your hosts. Thankfully, it's not just not just all me. Um, Andre is here with me. Andre, have you recovered well enough from what was another mind-blowing fan Kirby performance yesterday? Um, the short answer is uh, I haven't recovered at all, uh, <laughs> but that's a good thing. I think um, still still very euphoric, still very happy. And I haven't talked to Miriam about this, but I want to introduce a new segment. I think this segment is going to be very simple to get a hang of. So the segment is called, Who's at the Top of the Table? Miriam, (laughs) who's at the top of the WSL table? I mean, judging by my intensive research, it seems to be not Arsenal, not Man City, not Man United. Correct. Seems to be Chelsea. Seems to be. I love that segment. (laughs) We're going to have to start implementing this just to, you know, <laughs> great any Arsenal or, you know, rival fans who happen to be listening. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, these it, it took a little longer than we probably expected and wanted, um, full disclosure. But, you know, a couple of postponed games, you know, a couple of postponed matches against, you know, clubs that we have historically done well against. Uh, and you assume, you know, you kind of look at the table and you're like, well, Assuming another three points, we'd be on top anyway, but we just handled it ourselves by taking on who was number one and doing the leapfrog move and still have that game in hand. So extremely excited. Yeah. And as we mentioned briefly before, it was another amazing performance from Frank Kirby. She got us a winner in the 65th minute. Um, a very long ball played over the top by Berger and she just happened to get behind the uh, defenders. And then it was just, you know, the rest is history. She used her pace. She got him behind. She scored the winner. Um, the first goal actually was scored by Penilla Harder and it was a bit of a goal line scramble. Uh, you know, shots flying everywhere, defenders' legs, keeper in the way and Harder just managed to get her foot on it and, and get that in. So we were leading, um, by a goal in the 30th minute and, and, pretty much dominating the game very relentlessly. Uh, but it was Lauren James who came on as a substitute and she scored a wonderful goal, I have to say. A brilliant strike, just sort of curled away from Berger in the 61st minute. And um, that gave us a final result of 2-1, which to my delight, and also, Andrew, you will say your delight, we both got that correct. We did get it correct. And I was I was, I was, was wondering that because I know that scoreline was pretty popular. I saw some other, you know, our, some fellow <laughs> podcasts, uh, they got it right as well. Uh, but we also went ahead and did the tried to guess the goal scores, and I have I no said, idea what I said. I said. I'm pretty sure I remember saying Fran Kirby would score as well. So I think <laughs> that I've, I've won the point in this situation. Naturally. <laughs> okay, so let's let's dive into the game because that's exactly sort of what we're going to get into. We usually start by going from back to front, so let's go straight into analyzing our defense, which we saw the addition of Mielder return to the starting lineup. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to have, you know, a full strength, you know, lineup, uh, defensive lineup back. It uh, We never really got, got word on what happened. Uh, she was in the starting 11 for the Reading game. Uh, and then sometime in training, she ended up injuring herself or something happened. I'm not sure. There was never really much clarification. And she was removed and replaced by Hannah Blundell. So uh, it was good to see Mielda back at her right back position, starting in the 11 and getting 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 the full 90 minutes. So that was very good. Um, one thing that was so interesting is that normally when teams high press, like Manchester United was doing, we tend to cope with it fairly well. 
if we can't play through it, we kind of hit the hit balls long and we try to use, you know, Sam Kerr's pace. We try to use, you know, stick like Aaron Cuthbert or G kind of around the center circle to be able to collect the long ball and then move it forward. We've seen a couple goals like that versus Manchester City. And I think Sam was it Sam Kerr's first goal um, of this season or maybe his first goal against United this season um, or only goal against United was a similar thing where, you know, the ball gets played out from defense long, Hmm. collected into, you know, around the center circle, pushed out wide to Fran Kirby, who then squares to to Sam Kerr. And we didn't do a ton of that this match. And uh, it was really because we were pretty rattled. Uh, Berger had a pretty rough game in the back, I think. She gave the ball away a couple of times, kicked the ball out of play a couple of times. Uh, And Bright, you know, Millie Bright is usually our, our passer, our organizer. And she was having a hard time. They're closing down on her very, di- very quickly and making it a little difficult for her to have the composure and play the passes as accurately as she normally does. But thankfully, we have a captain named Magdalena Erickson. She handled it like she was the outlet. She said, OK, fine. I see we need to settle. I see it needs to be my responsibility. And there's actually a really great piece in The Athletic is by Michael Cox. He, he analyzed this game. And I'll, I'll link it um, when we post the episode, I'll, I'll be sure to link it in the thread. But if you don't have access to the athletic, I'll just kind of give you the rundown of it. Basically, Magdalena Erickson has been kind of a low key, pretty brilliant player at getting through presses like to, like this. And we used her very well in this match, especially because our typical um, press breakers were, were not working. So Magda not only was able to continue to like progress the ball through the press and into midfield, she did it a lot and she did it very effectively. And I thought it was one of those things that, you know, I know after the game, Casey Stoney said, you know, they, you know, Chelsea didn't really do a whole lot to break them down. They just had mistakes. But I think if you watch the match, you know that like their press was working until we found out how to get through it. And a large part of that was Erickson. And you mentioned sort of briefly there about how we struggled a little bit defensively. Uh, we talked about Lauren James, her wonder strike, but there was also the offside goal from Hansen, um, yeah. called offside, but she managed to get fairly easily around our central defenders and in behind. Yeah, you know, it was very interesting. Um, I think at halftime, Manchester United had already had five offsides. So we were definitely playing an offside trap. We were definitely trying to to force them to make their runs early. Uh, and to and hoping that the flag would go up that one by Hansen was very scary because it was really narrow and I think uh, I'm, I'm I don't I, I can't stand the current implementation of VAR so I'm glad it's not there <laughs> but if a better version of VAR, VAR existed and it was with and it was in the WSL that would have been a really tight call so we kind of got away with it but it was it was it some of it seemed like it was the game plan and some of it seemed like you know, uh, United just kind of struggled a little bit without having Tobin Heath out there, who uh, I think Casey Stoney said she picked up a knock in in training and she just wasn't fit to go any minutes in the match. And that really kind of showed in the match, too, is United had some opportunities, um, at least to possess the ball in our attacking third and try to, you know, their, their whole thing is high press turnovers, high turnovers that lead to chances. They don't really build from the back. They don't build through midfield. They turn the ball over. They turn you over really high and create chances. And we saw Tobin Heath scored a really memorable <laughs> angry goal versus Manchester City um, on just such a turnover. And it was Lucy Bronze who gave that ball away. But without Tobin Heath out there, you saw Manchester United really struggled. I believe at halftime they had zero shots on target. 
And in the match overall, they only had one shot on target, and it was Lauren James's goal. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we spoke a lot beforehand about how um, through their midfield and through the, the flank and the width play, that would be Manchester United's strongest area, and that's where we really need to focus. Actually, it was our midfield that definitely dominated the game, and it was this really interesting combination that MAs put out, which was between Leopold and Cuthbert, right in the middle, and it was a combination that really paid off for us. Well, Cuthbert was really sort of quick and pacey and, and providing those forward movements, in comparison, Leopold was quite sharp and precise, and she was the one who was who was sort of aware of all the attacks coming towards us and also breaking up and pushing things forward. And the game, the game was literally being played at their tempo, and it was ferocious. It was literally relentless. Oh yeah, the the, the first part of the match was just like <laughs> it was wild. You know, the 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 intensity and just the 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 end to end match. I mean, both both teams press really hard, really high, really fast. And as soon as you get a turnover, the ball was on the other end of the pitch really quickly. And, you know, once things settled down, Chelsea found a lot of ways to kind of pick through United, you know, kind of playing, drawing them out, playing around in the back. And, you know, even though some of that led to some danger, there were a lot of times where we ended up, when we finally could break the press, getting the ball in pretty dangerous areas and and the dangerous players like Aaron Cuthbert and like Ji So Yoon, who played a little bit of a different role in midfield than she had been. And I think this is something that uh, seems like a change from um, the, the first half of the season. You saw against Reading that, you know, G didn't start the match. It was Fran Kirby who was in that 10 role. And even though G started this match, she was pushed deeper, one to help be an outlet for the press, you know, breaking the press, uh, trying to progress the ball forward through, through the press and into midfield and through midfield into attack. But it was Fran Kirby who was given that free role to roam along as the basically as kind of a, a shadow number 10. And she had an excellent game. And we'll talk about the attack later, but I really want to wanted to spotlight the role that G had because she was she had a lot of energy. Uh, you saw her getting in the getting getting on the ball, you know, kind of manipulating the ball to get around players in the press because Manchester United really hunt in packs. They come at you three to four players at a time, and they box you in. I think if you were watching the match, you could hear Casey Stoney shouting, no way out, no way out. And it's just, <laughs> that's that's the mantra. That's what they do. And they were doing it very well to Chelsea before Chelsea figured out how to, how to pick through them. And then it was just getting the ball through them, getting it to Fran Kirby. Fran Kirby was springing Sam Kerr nonstop. <laughs> But G was a big part of that. And I really like this deeper role of hers because it it's almost like she's very good, especially in the way that teams play now and certainly how teams play against us now at kind of building and creating that secondary assist. She had a lot of times where she she's so clever at knowing space where she doesn't just play the ball to somebody's feet. She drops the ball into space. And that was working very well with Cuthbert and also loopholes because they could they're so mobile that they get the ball to G and G just puts it in the space that they're going to be running into. And that was another way in which it was very easy to pick through their press. Once we got past their high press and into their midfield, their midfield couldn't cope with that combination at all. <laughs> Aaron Cuthbert, too energetic, too good. Melanie Loopholes, too smart, too energetic, too good. G Still Yoon, too clever, uh, too smart, too good. So you just kind of had a bunch of problems in midfield. And that's why we dominated so much the match in that particular area. And it's like you said, you mentioned the um, secondary assists. I think the most important thing that happened from that kind of play was that we were really closing down the gaps for where United are normally uh, thriving in the way that their players push forwards. The likes of James, maybe she was sort of 
playing um, from the start, the likes of press. Now those gaps weren't there. We were really pushing them back. And I think that G was the one who was who was sort of in the primary position to then provide a really great channel through to, like you mentioned, Kirby and Kerr. So it really seemed as if our midfield, the crux of our midfield, was definitely controlling the game. And, and you've mentioned Kirby there. I think we sort of now need a, a, a dedicated segment of this podcast just to discuss her because... Once again, she was she was pretty amazing. And if you think about her goal itself, like it it's it's absolutely the opposite of Kirby because it was simply a very long ball by Berger over the top, and she ran in behind and she, and she scored. We didn't need to play through. We absolutely completely surprised them. And I think that directness, that change of tactics, it definitely worked in our favour. But it wasn't just that goal that, like you mentioned, in that shadow striker role, she was pressing and and pushing and finding passes and gaps that. United just couldn't keep up with. And I think there's that intensity that, that she really brings. And I think that G also brought that as well. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to Aaron Cuthbert real quick because uh, <laughs> because Emma Hayes had a really uh, a fun quote about, about her uh, after the match. Uh, she said, quote, Aaron had a job to do and she did exactly what I asked her to do to, in the letter of the law, which, you know, that's kind of yeah. Aaron Cuthbert. <laughs> she's just a baller. You're going to put her on the pitch, say do this and she's going to do it. But then she said, you just don't find players like Aaron Cuthbert anymore. And for a player of her age to do what she does and do it with the intensity and application, she's a dream. I think we all agree with that. That's that's <laughs> the thing. That's the, the other thing to note is the, is the athleticism that's required to play this style of football. If you think of teams like on the men's side, like Liverpool, Manchester City, this, this game-pressing style, it requires intense levels of fitness. You can't pull it off without being intensely fit. Otherwise, it's half-hearted. You won't get away with it. You won't be able to keep up. Um, keep it up actually across 90 minutes so I think the way that Mahez has exploited that system is by playing these players who are incredibly fit and incredibly able to keep up with with intensity and and pressing and playing with intensity for um, a long enough time to really tire out our opponents and that I think is quite smart yeah absolutely and I was I was just (laughs) I I was when we were I was live tweeting the match from from our uh, Twitter account it's at Fran Kirby FC if you have if you don't follow us um, we, we try to live tweet every match. Uh, and so I was on the job this time and it was just, you know, late in the match, I tweeted that Aaron Cuthbert had already run approximately 900 miles already. Wow. And she's still flinging her ball, her body around to draw fouls, to settle the team. You know, this was when we had the lead and we're just trying to milk the clock. We're trying to slow them down. We're trying to keep the ball in our own half or in their own half so that they can't build. And Aaron Cuthbert was still with the same level of intensity, with the same level of acceleration as whistle one, as the first whistle, as the, as the first whistle. So you like, as an opposing player, that's got to be so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like, will you just like... Stop. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> Can you relax? Are you, Do you ever fatigue? Are you ever going to give me just a tiny bit of space so that I can finally play my game? And the answer from Aaron Cuthbert was no. And that answer was how we played in general we just did not give United a single second to play their own way and I I really want to mention that in comparison to the way we played um, against them in the opening game of the season I think it's so stark because that was I think we mentioned at the time it was one of our worst performances it was a really poor performance we struggled to cope the the selection was wrong Um, there was absolutely no way for us to get a result out of that game we didn't play Cuthbert we made that decision wrong but it seems as if that Emma Hayes has learned quite a lot from that encounter and that's always quite um, quite nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. This was a very interesting game plan, especially with, with both managers knowing how to attack the other. And if you look at previous matches against Manchester United, even though we have 
the the narrow edge in most matches at the end of the scoreline just just like at the end of the day on the scoreline just like we did you know 2-1 but 2-1 doesn't really show the match as it actually was i think 2-1 flatters united a little bit um we know we had a lot of opportunities a lot of missed chances and as we get into attack we'll talk more about those but the manager matchup was very interesting and Casey Stoney was able to apply her press the same way. And I think that's why she seems like she was proud of her players, but she was also kind of saying, you know, we don't feel like we were beaten all that well, but she kind of chalked it up to some mistakes they had in their pressing and how organized it was. But I think when you look at how Chelsea looked early, how rattled they were, I know I mentioned Berger and Bright struggling versus the press. Um, how Chelsea were turned over pretty high at times and were pretty fortunate to not give away a decent scoring opportunity. And part of that is because Chelsea, when they did turn the ball over, defended very well. You know, I know Millie Bright, I remember one sequence where she turned the ball over um, and it went straight to, I can't remember who the player was, but they played it back across, kind of tried to play a ball into the square ball into the box and it would have been a clean through on goal and, and Millie Bright was actually behind the player. And I was a little scared when I saw that happen because I'm like, all right, if she gets this first time on target, it's going to be very difficult to save. But Millie Bright got around her in time to get her leg in front and clear the ball. She didn't just like tap it to scoot it away. It was not even close to being a penalty. The player didn't even fall. <laughs> Bright just, just got to the ball first. And it's just that kind of awareness and athleticism and ability to make up for those mistakes. So I, I, I think that, and, and we probably can transition into attack now because we kind of get to the point, like to make this point, you're thinking 2-1, that's what you should probably expect from a 1v2, uh, a first thing, you know, top of the table versus the second place in the table matchup, you know, a tight, a tightly contested matchup. <laughs> but it wasn't really. Of, yeah, it wasn't a couple really of second half goals. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It really wasn't. And I'm going to let you talk about it. Sam Kerr, the curse might be back. Yeah, when I was sort of watching back the the highlights of her performance and I heard, well, basically she could have had more than one goal in the opening half, it it did kind of worry me a little whether or not that issues with her clinicality are returning. Um, and whether this is because it was a big game, is it that we see this this happening a lot in big games, like in the Community Shield, where she almost snatches and grabs at chances, she takes them too early, her timing's off, or... Um, her normal, natural, almost perfect sense of positioning isn't the way it normally is. It, it does sort of, it does sort of make me think that it might be um, her reacting to pressure or her thinking that perhaps she needs to do something different to what she would normally do against someone like um, a team like Reading or or Bristol. That's the only thing I can possibly infer because it seems to be a pattern emerging. Um, she, she was getting in a lot of good places, like we mentioned. She she had quite a few chances. Um, so I wonder what the XG might be for her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you Chelsea's XG overall was pretty high. It was 2.4 and Manchester United's was 0.3. So you look at that and you say a 2-1 game doesn't really tell you the story of the match. The XG kind of gets you closer. But then I think if you watch the game, you get it even more. You see Chelsea dominating possession. You see Manchester United unable to really create anything. But beyond that, like you just mentioned, and I think bringing up the community shield unfortunately, is very apt here yeah. <laughs> because it was very much the same thing. Um, Fran Kirby pl played 
at least three brilliant through balls to get Sam Kerr 1v1. And you could just, and the thing that, that makes me more empathetic than anything else to Kerr right now in, in this form that she's in, in this run of, of poor finishing that she's in, is that you can see the thought process. You can see her struggling. You know, the one she had with her right foot <clears throat> was saved. It was dead center and goal. Uh, if she puts it in either corner, it's probably a goal. But she hits it and it goes right to the goalkeeper. The next time she has, and these might be a little out of sequence, but you'll get my point. The next one she had was one that she took on her left foot that she tried to get in on frame, but it ended up just clipping the side netting. And then she had another chance in almost the same spot. And she didn't trust her left foot so much that she tried to use her right and do this like toe poke thing that was never going to generate the kind of curl needed to get into the net from that angle. And of course it misses as well. And you just see her being so frustrated with herself and you see the thought process of, oh, my left foot isn't working today. I'm going to try my right right now. Even though like if you're an informed striker, never uses their right foot in that situation. (laughs) Or if they do, they're on, they're on the extreme, like, like uh, a confident side where they're just going to like, outside of the boot, swerve it in. But that's not what Kerr tried. It was basically a toe poke that had no chance. And it's just really, it's really frustrating. You see how effective she is. You see how quick she is. Uh, You see how good she is at just terrorizing defenders and finding space. And it's just frustrating because you don't know. It's, it's It's an unsolvable problem. You're getting into the right positions. You're, you're getting the opportunities. You're getting the service. I don't know. It I seems, really don't know. It seems to be an element of, of doubt and overthinking when it comes to those situations. Like we know that she's an experienced striker. When you're in, when you're an experienced striker and you're in those situations, whatever happens in terms of scoring, it just comes naturally. But it seems that she's getting in those positions and she's not trusting that it will happen naturally. She's overthinking how she needs to score. She's not going with her normal way of of, of doing, like you mentioned, going with a different foot or trying a different position because she's not trusting herself so that is why I feel like it's more of a a mental thing than anything like we know like you mentioned how effective she is how well she can score it's just about um trying to get her to channel that in big games when she's playing against um more difficult opponents um and whilst we're mentioning her I think we should also mention harder because she scored that first goal she was pretty clinical today in comparison yeah, absolutely. You you like, and that's, <laughs> I think I also tweeted something that was, uh, it was a little tongue in cheek, but, but I think people got what I was saying is that it's really good to have another world-class forward when your other world-class <laughs> forward is misfiring. And I just think that that's so true. And it's the danger of this team, right? Like Sam Kerr can terrorize your defense and the defense is thinking, oh, thank God she hasn't scored because she could have had a hat trick in the first half. Like a clinical striker puts yeah. those three on target and more than likely they're going into the back of the net. At least two of them are probably all three, but they didn't. And then you have, it was actually Fran Kirby who won that corner uh, because she she had said, all right, I've, I've taken on this defender. I've gotten to this position multiple times, but Manchester United was doing a really good job of reading the cutback, which she tried a number of times. And she did that. And then uh, when she got in that space again, she remembered that this the cutback isn't on, so I'm just going to take it. And so she took it, and it was like an impossible angle, but the shot was so <laughs> hard that it went out for a corner. That resulting corner, of course, it pinballed around. It's not like they drew it up like that, but you got multiple chances. I think there was a header off the line. There was a bar. I think there was a post, yeah. and, then the, and then it was in, but it was in off of a Manchester United player. It like hit her, and they both fell into the net, so it was kind of funny. 
but uh but yeah harder harder is growing into the match you saw her yeah. pick up the ball in these tight in these spaces and i think that interchange with her and fran kirby because fran kirby is versatile too and can go out to the right wing like i said that's where that whole phase of play started by curry taking on her defender and so you get a lot of that and that interchange is really important and we saw that harder provides different she's not as fast as kirby but she provides a different kind of skill she has a very good left foot and there were a couple times where she found space and was able to dribble around and unleash a shot and i think if that partnership and that ability continues to grow that's going to be really dangerous because both players in addition to sam kerr create such havoc for defenders like i don't really know what you do against that and another point to mention is that now that sort of Kirby's playing in a more central position, it definitely opens up the space on the left for uh, Hardy yes. to exploit that area, that, that flank slash width play that Kirby kind of naturally sort of moves in. So it's opening up that area and we're seeing her start to use that and provide crosses. I think it was the Arsenal game where um, she sort of put that cross in um, that got us that goal and, and she's done that a few, a few games now. So if, she, if that's the area she's becoming comfortable in, I think that's something we should encourage because it, it will open up more space for her there and it will allow Kirby to kind of focus on the central places. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited with how the team is set up now. You know, I think in the first half of the season, we were a little disappointed. You know, we could, we had a hard time figuring out how to get all the personnel to play together. And I think Emma Hayes has kind of figured it out. Yeah. I think giving Kirby that free role, giving Kirby that kind of central area and having her interchange with, with Harder a lot is really good. And you have Sam Kerr, who's the, who's the top striker, which, again, she has to get her finishing done. Oh, you know what? And I actually meant to say, I know I brought this up in a previous podcast, but I keep seeing the same thing recur. And I think that I think it's just going to require an offseason of really good like shooting and accuracy work. Yeah. And I don't mean that as in like the top, you know, one of the one of the best players in women's football needs to learn how to shoot. What I mean is in terms of finding corners and finding the side netting, Kerr's not too used to that because her athleticism and the way that um goalkeepers in the NWSL, the league she came from, are so aggressive that it makes it so easy. She would either dribble around them, then she has an empty net, or she chips them, or they're on rushing and she gets the ball by them. WSL keepers are a little bit more patient and they narrow down angles just a little bit better. And so she has to find a way to kind of pick corners, you know, even sometimes maybe even go five hole, you know, go underneath do a little nutmeg goal or something. But right now she's just kind of hitting the ball without any, any direction. And I think part of it is adjusting, but I also think part of it is all of this stuff is in her head. You know, clearly, like I said, she was, she, she went with her right foot after her left foot, you know, hit the side netting. And it's just because she lost confidence in her foot, in her left foot after one strike. So I think it's a combination of those things, but you do see the game plan. You do see it being impossible to stop. If she starts scoring slash when she starts scoring, I'm going to say positive when she starts scoring and she, <laughs> and she has seven goals. All right. So we don't want to act like she just can't score. We've seen her get a hat trick uh, for her first for Chelsea. We've seen what she can do when she does it consistently. Then we'll see the Chelsea that we've been seeing. But even without that, you look at how we're able to play, how we're able to break down a team like Manchester United. And you can't be anything but pleased, especially because top of the table. 
I think that's enough talk about Manchester United now. <laughs> I think we're going to have to move on to the other Manchester club, which is Manchester City. And we played them on Wednesday in the semi-final of the Conti Cup. And that's before facing Bristol City um, and former Chelsea manager Matt Beard on the weekend. But let's just focus on that Man City game first. Because they just recently put seven goals past Aston Villa in the league, despite sort of being a little bit um, underprepared in terms of COVID absences and even their own manager Gareth Taylor having to sit out of the game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, um, interesting matchup against them. I, I know the FA really wanted this fixture to happen because they bumped... Tottenham, who we're supposed to play. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> no, nah, nobody wants to watch that. So you're going to just make up that game later. We'll figure it out. Uh, and then brought Manchester City in, which was postponed because they had uh, some instances of COVID. Uh, and so that was unfortunate for, for them. But, you know, they got the match back on the calendar. Some of the players weren't as happy about that. <laughs> but hopefully we still get a good match. It is a start of a brutal run. As you mentioned, we have another match at the weekend and then we have another midweek match. So I think this will be four matches in 10 days. Um, And we just, you know, we just had the the first one. So it's going to be three matches in nine days. So it's just, it's just going to be intense. Um, I think that how they played against Aston Villa was definitely great for them. They needed to kind of have one of those moments because they've had issues with getting their strikers scoring. They've had issues with figuring it out. And their best player all season, Sam Mewis, is in the U.S. with the U.S. Women's National Team camp. So that was something they did without their best player. And so you do seem to wonder, is this kind of the old Manchester City? Are they now a well-oiled machine? Are they, you know, they were trying to implement a couple players Mewis has done well, but a lot of things focused on her. And even though that's good because she's a brilliant player, it didn't give a lot of the other players too much of a chance to get into the game, um, perhaps mindset-wise at least. And now it seems like they're they're a unit. Now, obviously, Villa's not a great team. Uh, no disrespect to them, but that that result was probably always going to be a bit lopsided. Lopsided. Um, you know, we we last time we faced Bristol, it was kind of a similar situation. You know, these bottom bottom of the table clubs, you do expect big score lines. So even though six in the first half is outrageous, um, it's not completely unexpected. And I just I don't know. I, I'm I'm. I think I'm more excited to see the 11 of this match. Like, I know Emma Hayes is going to have to rotate the squad a lot to keep everybody fresh and to get through it with as few injuries as possible. So the 11 will tell me a lot about what we expect from this match and, you know, especially how we can play. I expect Wrighton to start. That's probably a, a given. You know, she came in as a sub, but she's been coming in as a starter in some of our other cup competitions, Champions League as well. So... It'll be an interesting match, I think, and I'm I'm excited for it. I do wonder how it will be for Manchester City to go from like the freedom they had in that Aston Villa game in terms of midfield and attack, then to go to the extreme opposite, which will be playing us and our midfield pairing. That's going to make it incredibly difficult for their deep lying midfielders to play out for, um, into the forwards because we know we've got that high press situation going on. Um, so I, I'm hoping that's going to be a jarring experience for them because that's going to definitely help us um, sort of get our game on and, and put away those chances. We already know from previous experience that they do not operate with a low block. So expect um, a very free-flowing game and attacking football. And I even wrote down in the brief, I predict some madness from G because she always does this when she's got the freedom to 
to push forward and find those gaps. So I think it's going to be a very sort of end-to-end game in certain respects. But we also need to be careful because um, where their strengths lie is often where our weaknesses lie. So there's flank areas, they've got lots of scorers and, and very good crosses of the ball. Um, we just need to make sure that we tighten those up. Otherwise, it it has this sort of... the there are all the necessary means there for us to really struggle also. Um, but as you mentioned, interesting to see how we put our starting 11 out there. We're probably going to rotate when we play Bristol, so I'm guessing some of the fringe players like Blundell, you mentioned right, in England, Fleming, Charles, I'm guessing we're going to see loads of those. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited. I really want to see Jess Fleming. You know, we, we've continued to see her in, you know, spot duty, and, but we haven't really seen her too much in like starting and against good really solid competition i think the last match she started was the second leg against benfica and it would be interesting to see her start against manchester city um i think she has the talent um obviously i'm not seeing her seeing her every day on the training pitch but i think this could be a really good opportunity to see where she's at right now and can she cope and again like i mentioned she doesn't have to worry about sam Mewis. asking her to go against sam Mewis is probably wrong because asking many players to go against sam Mewis is not good <laughs> <laughs> she is her nickname here is corny but it's what we went with is the tower of power because she's about six foot tall uh she's she's massive and she's really mobile and hard to take the ball off of but i think that this is a very good match to get some of those players into the team into the get into get into a big game into a match and kind of build their experience and build their confidence because later on like we mentioned, we still have another postponed league match to make up against Spurs. We're going to have to rotate the squad quite a bit. We can't always name the starting 11. And we did the work to build a deep team, and so we need to use it. So I am excited for this match. I don't really love all of these games being jam-packed into a, a short period because I do think that's not right to the players. It does put make them way more susceptible to injury especially given this time of year, it's cold and you have cold plus a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of matches, a lot of fatigue going on. I think you can pick up a lot of strains, a lot of knocks, a lot of, you know, a lot of other things that can happen just because of through fatigue, it makes it more easy. It makes it easier to get injured. So I am really hoping that we can come through this. We do have the squad to manage it though. And so that's why I'm really excited about the 11 against city and also against Bristol. Um, our next match, or was it, is it Bristol? Yeah, it's Bristol yep. in our next match because the, those, I think City being a cup match, even though we want to win as much silverware as possible, there's still an opportunity. You know, City is a team that we know how to play against and we can beat and we have the tools to exploit their weaknesses on the bench as well. You know, outside of our starting 11, we still have the tools to exploit their weaknesses because I'm sure they're gonna, they're not going to go with the full strength lineup either because they just played as well. So even though they had a a, an easier match than we did against Manchester United. Um, and so I just, I'm hoping to see a lot of rotation. I'm hoping to see a similar standard of performance from the teams as well, um, whatever teams get put out there as well, because I think this would be a really good opportunity to showcase some of that talent that we haven't really seen a lot of this season. And on that note, I'm going to ask you for your predictions. I would like one each for each game. Ooh, okay. Yep. <laughs> Predictions again. Um, you know what? I'm going to stick with the 2-1 scoreline. Chelsea on top of Manchester City. I, I think they score first. Um, I think they do name a stronger lineup than Chelsea, at least initially on paper. And I do think they are able to get a goal. I don't know who gets it. Uh, <laughs> but I think we respond maybe one before halftime and one uh, later on in the second half. And I'm going to go with Guru Wrighton scoring one. 
And I think Bethany England. I'm going to make other. a note of these. <laughs> I, you know, you got me doing all these predictions and I can't stand predict. I don't like doing score predictions. Now I'm trying to predict who's going to score. This Speaking is, of, this I'm, is just, like I was, I'm just about to make a note of them. And I came across <laughs> our, my notes from last week and you predicted Leah Galton to score harder in England. So you got mm. it wrong. I sure did. I got harder right. Oh, you did. You did. I did Kirby, Kerr, and Heath, and Heath wasn't even playing. <laughs> That's true. So I don't know what that is. That sounds like a toss-up to me. We both got one right. Mm, I don't know. You're pushing it. Oh, <laughs> uh, and let's see. I guess I'll I'll think about the Bristol match. I mean, I, I do think it'll be a. It's it's not going to be the nine nil we had early in the season um, against them that's a little harsh to predict a 9-0. Uh, and I do think that we'll have some rotation. But I'm going to go with, uh, let's go 3-1. I think Ebony Salmon is a very difficult player to deal with. I think if we're going with some rotation, we might not see a full strength back line. And she is a really dangerous player um, against a against a back line that's not quite prepared for her pace and how good she is. So um, I do think they get one, but I think it's comfortable in the end. Who gets ours? Oof. Yeah, they just lost 4-0 actually to Everton. And I, I think that yeah. we're quite a little bit better than Everton. So I'm going to go against Bristol. I'm going to say that we'll win 5-1. And I think that I will probably go with 2-1 as well for, for City. Because I just feel, like you mentioned, I think it's going to be a similar game. But I think that um it'll be more free-flowing. The thing that kind of worries me in that sense is whether or not we're going to be clinical. Because a game like that invites lots of chances. So it will be interesting to see the stats in terms of how many shots uh, we've accumulated and how many on target. I still think that it'll be um, a 2-1 game. Um, yeah, so that kind of wraps it up for us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. So be sure to rate and review the podcast. As you know, it helps us grow. And if you notice Fran Kirby's recent spike in form, that's because you guys have been really listening to all our stuff. And she's appreciating that and returning the favour on the pitch. We, of course, won't tell you exactly how many stars to give us, but we, as we mentioned, we can say that it's it's having a direct effect on our performances. So if you want to see more goals, um, and don't quote me on this, please, because I don't want anyone at the club <laughs> finding me and, and, and impressing me information. Um, if you want to see a score more, then please do listen and, and like and love and share. Um, you know, we're not going to tell you what to do, but we will love a little bit love this week, especially given, you know, given how well Chelsea are doing. Uh, only other thing that we will mention is that we've got a shop, obviously. We've got loads of hats and stickers and, and scarves going. And if anyone wants to buy any of that, and it's always in our Twitter bio link. So definitely hit that up. Um, you know, we've got a big match coming up on Wednesday and then another. So we've got, as Andres mentioned, uh, maybe four games coming up in a short space of time. So let's hope that we get through them one game at a time. We maintain our rightful spot at the top of the table. Um, hope everyone stays healthy and safe and we will talk to you next well, week. But before we leave real quick, I just, I oh, just want to, you know, I, I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to, because new new segments take a long time to go to get normal, so I wanna I just wanna rehearse the new segment. So can you tell the people again who is at the top of the WSL table? Well, I'm gonna have to do more research. It looks like it's still <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> Correct. It has not changed since we started recording. We are at top. We're where we belong. It's almost like there was a certain Manchester club that lost yesterday and has been pushed down from the top spot. Almost. Oh, 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 o